What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to a special episode of, uh, well, little Milwaukee Bucks segment featuring my Milwaukee Bucks winning the NBA Finals here with a very, very special guest here on Review and Preview Sports. Make sure to go check us out on all our social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and our YouTube channel as well at Review and Preview Sports. We are a up-and-coming brand, so really appreciate all the support as of late. And going to introduce my special guest, uh, Milwaukee Bucks super fan, Andrew Goodman. Andrew, thank you so much for taking the time today. How's it going? Tom, you know, I first wanted to just say thank, thank you for having me on. You know, I always look forward to talking Bucks. And it's funny, you know, before we started, we were chatting, you know, me being from L.A., you being from New York, we're from these big markets. But here we are cheering on our small market Bucks. And, you know, seeing them in the finals is something that would have never thought I would expect to see in my lifetime. Nonetheless, them winning it all this this really feels like a dream. And to be honest, two days later, two or three days later, it still still hasn't hit me. But watching that parade yesterday, you know, not only Giannis deserves it, of course, we've you know seen everyone talking about that the last three days, but just the city of Milwaukee, they they deserve that more than anything. Right. I mean, it's been 50 years, the 50 year anniversary of winning the first NBA title in Bucks history. So definitely great to see them do it 50 years later. Long wait, well deserved for the city of Milwaukee. Now, Andrew. I know you work with Brew Hoop. It's kind of like a social media account that you run. Can you tell us a little bit about that and how that started up? Yeah, absolutely. So my um, Bucks contributions really started um, first with Cream, Cream City Central. I was there for about two years and, you know, I wanted to see what else was out there. So I saw Brew Hoop. They had some openings. So this must have been I've been Brew Hoop. This has just finished my third year. So this must have been four years ago. I reached out to him twice at the time. Um, it's still Adam, Adam Paris and Mitchell Maurer, who are uh, managing editors. They basically nicely said, no, you know, we are looking for contributors, but you don't necessarily fit the bill at this time. Like, please try again. Tried again. It didn't work out. But then, you know, third, like I said, third time's a charm. Or I just annoyed them to the point where they basically had no choice but to say yes. So they ended up having me on as a contributor. Um, this was when Mike Budenholzer uh, first started out um, his first year head coach of the Milwaukee Bucks. And really my task is, tasks have grown um, a little bit over the last three years. So I started off basically just honing in on previews, mostly extended recaps, which for Brew Hoop are our long form recaps, usually around thousand words. Obviously it depends on the game and the situation. There are a lot of external factors that play into it, but just something that we try to give the readers, you know, make them feel like they were there in the stadium. And then Kyle, uh, he runs, he does a great job running our social media account. Over the last um, few years, he's had, um, he and his wife had two kids. So they just um, welcomed their newborn um, baby boy. And wow. they kind of allowed me to run the Twitter um, more this year. This was for the first time in my three years where they gave me access to the Twitter. So that it's really either I'm writing previews or recaps or I am you know, you can call it game cat or live tweeting um, from the Brew Hoop Twitter account. So basically, you know, if you see any really crappy tweets coming from the Brew Hoop uh, Twitter account, you can bet your bet your assets on me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that sounds like an awesome position. Congratulations on that and taking a step forward with Brew Hoop. And you know, I'm looking forward to talking Milwaukee Bucks with you. The fact that both of us share a common bond rooting for a small market team winning the NBA finals as the Bucks did win their second NBA championship on Tuesday night over the Phoenix Suns by a final score of 105-298 in game six. Crazy. The last three finals all went six games. So, um, Andrew, I want to 
get to your thoughts on this instantly. Uh, first championship in 50 years, game six, led by 13 at the end of the first quarter, then get outscored 31 to 13 in the second. But the Bucks were resilient. They fought back. They truly embraced the role of the underdog, not just in this series, but throughout the entire playoffs, being down early on in several different series. Yeah, absolutely. You bring up a great point. And what we saw the last two years, the Bucks were, you know, on their high horse, best team in the regular season in basketball the last two years. And then it seemed like the pressure really got to them in the postseason where they just fell short. short. Obviously, last season with the bubble, things were a little different. So they kind of get some slack for me in that regard. But yeah, you know, the Bucks proved me wrong so many times this year. I did not think this Bucks team was as resilient as it was. And this is something that I'll gladly eat crow on. There have been multiple recaps that I've written that you know, are basically saying this Bucks team is dead in the water. This basically was me saying that after game two of their series against the Brooklyn Nets, where they lost that game, I believe, by 39 points. I was like, well, you know, you're down 0-2 to obviously Kevin Durant had a goat-like series. It's just, you know, being this is something, like I said, I'll gladly crown as being proven wrong that this Bucks team, like you said, so resilient, even though that they did end up going up by 13 that first quarter. It never really felt like the Bucks actually played very well. You know, I thought a lot of things went into the, building their 13 point lead in the first. Phoenix got a decent amount of open shots that they ended up missing, fortunately, for the Bucks. But then we saw that second quarter where, you know, Milwaukee's offensive struggles you know, sort of carried over from the first quarter. And I thought that both teams, essentially speaking, they knew how big this game was and they came out tight. It looked like nerves were getting the best of everyone. And, you know, things started to open up a little bit in the third quarter after halftime. You know, the Bucks got into their flow a little bit. But yeah, um, watching that 13-point lead dwindle in the second quarter, you know, I was getting a little nervous because Phoenix, they, Chris Paul was getting going in the mid-range. He was starting to hit some shots. And it just looked like momentum was starting to go their way. We saw Jay Crowder hit a big four-point play. I believe that was in the second quarter as well. So a lot of things were going Phoenix's way. But, you know, like you said, the resiliency of this Bucks team, the adjustments that Mike Boonholder's made, not even, not only throughout this postseason, um, throughout the regular season. And I just wanted to point out, you know, I know Coach Boonholzer caught a lot of flack over the last two years, which most of it was deserved. But I thought this year he really put it all together. Year three, it did take some time for him to – implement those quick adjustments but granted they had acquired drew holidays so you know you have a point guard who is really going to carry the load here it's gonna, there's going to be a learning curve some adjustment mm -hmm. but yeah you know i gotta give coach boonholzer his flowers i mean he's out coached um uh, spolstra monty williams uh, nate mcmillan all great coaches so this was really an eye-opening series for bud and you know we're talking about the bucks winning the finals maybe Maybe an extension is looming. Who who knows what's next? But I got to give Coach Bud his credit where credit is due for sure. Yeah, I think the last two years, like cause this was his third year as the coach, obviously, there are a lot of expectations because the Bucks, I'm pretty sure, were the one seed in the East each of the past two years. So now this year, the Bucks were the three seed. We were like, okay, we're going up against this Nets super team. So this run was, I don't want to come out and say it was unexpected, but we were the first NBA champion to fall down 2 nothing in multiple different series. That includes Brooklyn and Phoenix, not to mention we fell one nothing in the Atlanta series as well, where people started to get nervous, but I really wasn't too nervous. That was the series I was probably most confident in right. over Brooklyn, over Miami, and then over Phoenix. I was most confident in that series. So 
it really was an impressive run. And I do think you're right. Mike Budenholzer, he does, I believe he has one year left on his contract at the moment. So talks are looming and I'm sure he's going to get an extension and he secured his job for the next three to four years, I think. And I think um, being the underdog is something that the Bucks excel in. Uh, like we were talking about earlier on this show that, you know, you finished with the one seed the last year. There's a lot of pressure on you because you are expected to come out of your respective conference. So I believe the Bucks play better when, you know, the focus isn't on them. And I think we saw that throughout this postseason, even when they were down 0-2, you know, the pressure shifts a little bit. But we we saw this Bucks team did not fold. They were down 0-2 and, you know, it didn't really look like it when games three and four rolled around. Yeah, and I think a big part of the Bucks coming back in this series, obviously, is the catalyst of this offense, Giannis Antetokounmpo, dropping a 50-piece in Game 6 with 14 boards, 5 blocks, and probably the most impressive stat of them all, 17 of 19 from the free throw line, winning NBA Finals MVP. Now, I've got to ask you, the guy averaged 35 points per game in this series, three 40-plus point games. He dropped 50 points in a game-clinching win um is he the new face of the nba in your eyes yeah it's it's really hard to argue that you know nonetheless this is this this is this man's first career nba finals and i believe it was game four against the atlanta hawks where he suffered what looked like to be a really catastrophic knee injury um you know to bounce back from that um even in game one against the suns he wasn't fully you could tell he wasn't really fully 100 percent, but he was still arguably the best player out there on the floor but when you're talking about who's going to take the throne from LeBron, I think, you know, your obvious answer after what we just saw is the Greek freak. You know, Kevin Durant is up there in age. You know, there's no knock on Kevin Durant. I believe Kevin Durant's the most gifted scorer in the NBA, arguably in NBA history, if that. But when you look at Giannis's age, 26, and you look at look at his resume after winning not only an NBA Finals, but an NBA Finals MV, unanimous MVP at that, you know, the writing is there on the wall, and this is really what Giannis needed to break through. We know we know what the critics have been saying ever since Giannis came to the league. Jump shot this, jump shot that. He has no bag. Well, what is the, what is there to talk about now when you're talking about Giannis? He has that resume. He has, a, he has a ring. He has a finals MVP. And just the aura that we saw him carry himself in game six. And if this is a game that the Bucks lose, you know, you're probably not feeling really good going into a game seven on the road in Phoenix. I was at game five um, for that crazy alley-oop game. And I'll tell you that that building was loud. I'm sure it sounded loud on TV, but you know, when I was there, the building was shaking, but for Giannis, this is, this just cements his legacy. Not only as in my opinion, I think he's the best player in Milwaukee Bucks franchise history at this point, no disrespect to Kareem, but you know, at this point with Giannis, it's, it's what, what else does he need to accomplish in order to, you know, maintain or take the throne? Does he need to be moved to the bench to win a six man of the year all of a sudden? All joking aside, I do believe Giannis is the next face of the NBA. And if you're looking at it from a larger scale, I believe he had, he was he was either number number one or number two um, in terms of most jersey sales. So this is also a guy who has a great story, as we all know, um, growing up, coming to America, what he did for his family, what he's still doing for his family, how how he's treated the organization with his loyalty as well. You know, it just makes sense that he will be the face of the NBA, but from like a marketing perspective, that the NBA as a whole would anoint him as the next face of the NBA because he he's just so likable. Mm -hmm. He really is. I mean, it's hard not to like him. Like even a lot of my friends who are Knicks fans, obviously, um, <laughs> I'm not going to get into that, but um, 
they, they loved Giannis. They loved what he was able to do. And I think once that in this game that goes unnoticed and it kind of uh, paints the picture for the whole series, Giannis played heavy minutes. The Bucks mm-hmm. shortened their rotation. Giannis played 42 minutes in game six. And this winning this chip was arguably one of the most deserved rings in NBA history. You're talking about a two-time league MVP, never ran to a super team, struggled, stayed through all the losing. Yes, I remember that 2015 game six against the Bulls where the Bucks lost 120 to 66. That was brutal. By the way, Giannis and Middleton both played in that game and scored single-digit points. Um, Giannis did it. He earned the respect of everybody. And he's going to leave behind the massive legacy, not to mention his older brother, is the energizer bunny of the bench mob, and he wasn't available. He had to enter health and safety protocols in game five. So, you know, one of the more emotional leaders of this team, Giannis really stepped up to the plate big time, and I couldn't be more happy, and he deserved that 50-piece at Chick-fil-A. So, (laughs) (laughs) Um, you know, just want to go back to that game six performance. Uh, I think one of the most impressive buckets he had was that in the fourth quarter he had that free throw line elbow jumper over Jay Crowder where he basically took one giant step to the other side of the free throw line and just rose over Jay Crowder where, you know, he's just so long that Jay Crowder couldn't do anything. But you know what Giannis is going to do. He wants to get to the rim. He wants to lay up. He wants to dunk. But at this point, you can't stop him because this is what makes the Bucks that much more deadly. You have Drew Holiday, great three-point shooter, even though he did struggle offensively throughout the finals. You know, I'm not going to I'm not going to give him too much crap because he played elite defense, you know, all six games. Mm-hmm. You have P.J. Tucker, who might go scoreless some games, but if you leave him open, odds are he's going to drain that three. Bobby Portis shot, I believe, 46% from deep in the finals. Bryn Forbes, who was really a non-factor, unfortunately, after that Miami series. This is what makes the Bucks as a whole so much more different than um, years prior, is that you were able to build a wall because, you know, having Eric Bledsoe as a point guard – really couldn't shoot you that allows um, opposing defenses one extra guy to really you know sag into the paint but you know when you're just looking at Giannis it's how can you stop this man unless you're fouling him or somehow making him settle for jump shots which at that point it's all mental with him if Giannis is pulling up for a jump shot there's I'm not a fan of that but odds are he he's feeling it for some reason there it's it's just really impossible to stop him it is, and I think a lot of people referred to him as the Robin in these playoffs because Chris Middleton was handling the ball a lot late, obviously has the much better three-point shot. Um, you know, it's crazy because Middleton and Giannis were on this team back when it was towards the bottom of the barrel. They saw the dark days of the Milwaukee Bucks, and they were able to rise to this point. Um, neither, neither of them ran to a super team, as I mentioned, and you know, Middleton was no knock either. He averaged 24 points per game in this final, shot 44% from the field, 40 points in game four. Andrew, this is a former second-round pick who, quite frankly, I love. He is the guy that Giannis needs by his side to be successful. Uh, I think he was a huge difference maker in this series as well, despite his not-so-great stat line in game six. But, you know, you can't, you can't score 30 points every game. You know, that's a great point. And there's no, I just hate the big media. They won't, yeah, they're, they love saying that Giannis isn't that guy down the stretch. Yeah. Or 50 points in a game six in his first NBA finals, but, you know, he's still not the closer. But when you're looking at the tandem between Giannis and Middleton, like you said, this was, um, these are two guys that were on that 2000, 2014 team. And they, I remember Eric named the athletic um, B writer for the Milwaukee Bucks, had a great story of how, 
Giannis and Chris, they basically would fight each other in practice because at that point they were still fighting for a rotation spot. But this is a story of how the both of them um, drove each other to become better as people and as players. And, you know, we're talking about how you can't be, you can be happier for Giannis, but you also have to, you couldn't be happier for Chris Middleton. Like you said, Chris Middleton is that guy when the Bucks need a, need a clutch shot, they're going to go to Chris Middleton. That's, that's no knock on Giannis, but if you're going to, if you need a jumper to ice the game or a three pointer, you know, why would you go to Giannis when you have a guy like Chris Middleton, who's an elite shot maker? It seems like the tougher, the tougher the shots defended, the more, uh, the higher the percentage of that shot going in is. And we saw that shot he hit over Devin Booker to, I believe, extend the lead to six points. That was, you know, I, I might sound crazy with this, but I see a ton of Kobe in Chris Middleton in terms of just tough, tough shot making and clutch moments through, from that mid range. Just, you know, he's just a tough guy to guard and, you know, it's his game might not be as flashy as others, but I think the biggest um, improvement from Chris Middleton over the last few years was his development as a playmaker. And I think that really has helped open up a lot of avenues for this Bucks offense and Bucks team as a whole. You can arguably say that Milwaukee's best offense um, throughout this entire uh, postseason came when Chris Middleton was handling the ball. We've seen Chris Middleton and Giannis, they've really perfected this last year, an inverted screen and roll where Giannis will be the ball handler. Chris comes and sets the screen and pops out. And, you know, whatever happens, he's open. So the development of a hole from Giannis weighing like 110 pounds to becoming the best player in the league and cementing himself really, in my opinion, as top 25 player of all time. And Chris Middleton being a max player, um, all-star caliber, NBA NBA champion. I mean, like, might be biased here because obviously I'm a huge Bucks fan, but it's just really hard to have any sort of hatred or, you know, slander any of these um, two players when you consider what they've had to go through. Chris Middleton, second round pick, as you mentioned, he had a stint in the G League, I believe that was because he was rehabbing an injury, but it still counts as an NBA uh, champion coming from the, uh, the G League, or I guess it was a D League at that time. But really, the development of Giannis and Chris Middleton has really helped propel this Bucks team to a title. They worked their way to the top, and obviously getting Drew Holiday, Bryn Forbes, Bobby Portis, Brooke Lopez, it helps. But I, they're definitely not in this position if Giannis and Middleton don't spend hours on end in the gym. I definitely agree with that. I do think bringing in Drew Holiday was huge, too. That big three is insane. I mean, look, the first two games of the series, the defensive – adjustments were not great the Suns scored 118 points in each game but holiday was a difference maker from game three onward uh game six he played 46 minutes again shooting four of 19 from the field is not what you want to see but he almost had triple double numbers Mm -hmm. and he played outstanding defense on that pick and roll where you know brooke lopez you want to keep him in drop coverage because that's where he's at his best if you put him on the switch whether it's Chris Paul, Devin Booker, I'll even throw Mikael Bridges in there. You don't want him doing that. Um, and I think that's where they miss Dante DiVincenzo a lot in these playoffs because, you know, people say his, his defense is pedestrian at best. It's a lot better than guys out there like Bryn Forbes, mm-hmm. Pat, Con- Pat Connaughton, um, and those guys. So I think DiVincenzo was missed, but Drew Holiday was purely a difference maker. And I do want your thoughts on that, but I also want to ask, where do you rank this big three? Amongst the NBA's best. Ooh, uh, the big three in terms of NBA. Let's see, who else do we have here? 
So we have obviously um, KD, James Harden, and Kyrie. They haven't really played a lot of games when they're healthy, but yeah. And I think they've got they've got to be at least top two, top three. I mean, I think top three might be a little little too low there. Yeah, that's the thing that the Bucks are missing is Eric Bledsoe provided the Bucks with some great defense. There, there's no question there. But it, the question mark was the offensive um, production coming yeah. from point guard. But now you get Drew Holiday, who is widely regarded as one of the best perimeter defenders in all of the sport, one through five, defend multiple positions. We saw him guard Kevin Durant a ton um, in that Brooklyn series. But now, regardless of his offense struggles throughout um, the playoffs and especially in the finals, he's still a guy that you really have to guard. You can't leave a guy like Drew Holiday open. You can leave a guy like Eric Bledsoe open because Eric Bledsoe, career-wise, much better um, three-point shooter in the regular season, but in the playoffs, his production just dipped, and that really was a kiss of death for the Bucks. But now you also have an, a fantastic um, distributor like Drew Holiday, and you pair him alongside with Chris Middleton, who can run action for Giannis, and we saw that Giannis at times was at his best when they used him as a screener. So the the sky really is the limit for this Bucks team. I think this Bucks team that we saw win the championship this year is the best Bucks team in NBA history. No disrespect to that 1974 squad, but the NBA was totally different back then. Now the athleticism is, you know, at historic levels. The shot, the elite shot making, the defensive effort, and just like the overall athleticism of um, these men in the league. I really think this Bucks team cemented themselves as the best Bucks team in franchise history with winning the NBA Finals this year. Right, and it was kind of un- unexpected. Is <laughs> like what made it so special. And you know, Milwaukee they did make a lot of defensive adjustments in this series. They held the Suns to under 100 points in Game Six. Devin Booker, a guy who averaged 20, 28 points a game in this series, had just 19 points and went 0 for 7 from the three-point line. Everybody says, ooh, ah, like Booker's a good three-point shooter, where in hindsight, he really isn't a great three-point shooter. His game is the mid-range inside the three-point line. He can hit them on occasion if he's open, but he just shot way too many threes in this series for my liking. I mean, both teams struggled behind the three-point line in game six, but mm-hmm. I mean, defensively, they locked him down. DeAndre Ayton only had 12 and 6. Brooke Lopez was outstanding um, defensively against him. Uh, you got to give him a lot of credit, 13 years in the league. But um, I was just so impressed with the defensive adjustments Milwaukee made. I think the biggest thing was Drew Holiday being able to fight through those screens. And I, I know, like, they did shorten the bench, like eliminating Bryn Forbes from the rotation was necessary, in my opinion, to win this series. Because as good of a shooter he is, he's a lot li- too much of a liability de- defensively. So I think that those were probably the biggest key adjustments that helped swing the series in Milwaukee's favor. I agree with that wholeheartedly. And we saw game one and game two, um, not only Drew Holiday, but a lot of guys, they were switching, but they weren't aggressively fighting through screens. They were basically just tagging, putting their arm on the uh, chest of the screen basically leaving Brooke Lopez in no man's land most of the time. Um, But when you're talking about the defensive adjustments, I think another thing that they don't win the series without is eliminating the corner three ball for the Phoenix Suns, which was their bread and butter throughout um, the NBA playoffs in the regular season. We saw games one and games two. Basically the Suns had whatever they wanted in the corner, either corner um, of the three-point line. And, you know, you can't leave a guy like Mikel Bridges open in the corner, even though he's still young and up and up and coming. He's a, prolific three-point shooter cam johnson as well 
But, you know, after once the series switched to Milwaukee, I believe the games three and games four, the Suns had a combined five attempts from the corners from three. So they were really making the Suns shoot the three-point ball from above the break where they're where they're a little more uncomfortable. And that's a shot that the Bucks and uh, Bud's tenure have really been okay giving up is uh, above the break threes. But, you know, I want to get back to Drew Holiday. Him really fighting over the greens after the series ended up going to Milwaukee was huge. Just being aggressive, fighting um, over them. And I don't think he got enough credit for the defense he played on Chris Paul. I think that's, you know, just been flying under the radar. There was a stretch where once he was put on Chris Paul for the majority of the time, I think Chris Paul had 15 turnovers in the span of three games, which for a guy like Chris Paul, that's unheard of. He's throughout his um, career, he's been one of the best at taking care of the basketball. So that was great to see. And also um, something that ended up uh, playing in Milwaukee's favor was the fact that they they were totally fine with letting Devin Booker have the ball in his hands and just letting him go to work. Devin Booker reminds me, I'm not talking mentality or anything like this, but, you know, like Kobe, who's kind of like, uh, you know, the tough, tough, tough shot making, just, you know, no matter the defense, he's working, 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 dribbling, dribbling, you know, to get an open look. I have a lot of respect for Devin Booker. He's a great young player in this league. But I think Phoenix, where they went wrong, was letting Devin Booker cook a little too much, where the ball was just sitting in his hands. And, you know, if he's making a tough shot over multiple defenders or over P.J. Tucker, that's something that Milwaukee was was living with, which was fine because the defense was good. But if the ball's in his hands, that means the ball's not moving around. And I think that's where Phoenix essentially lost the series because we saw in games one and games two, their passing, the number of passes they made was absurd. But it dipped tremendously after that. And... I think that was another adjustment, just letting let, letting Devin Booker get his. Because if Devin Booker's getting his, that means the ball's not moving around and Chris Paul's not initiating the offense. I definitely agree with that. I was definitely more concerned about Chris Paul in this series cooking up than Devin Booker. But my next question is two guys that kind of fly under the radar. Milwaukee really had a seven- to eight-man bench, I guess, if you count like the five minutes per game that Jeff Teague played mm-hmm. in the series. But – um, Pat Connaughton and Bobby Portis are two extremely important players. Um, I Obviously, game six, we know Bobby went off 16 points in 23 minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pat Connaughton was scoring the ball really well in the series until game six where he didn't score any points. But I think what goes unnoticed about his performance is he drew that charge, which was very important, and then he had eight rebounds for a guard. Connaughton is one of the better rebounding guards in the NBA, and – Milwaukee in this game out rebounded Phoenix 53 to 37, which I think was the difference. I mean, you got scoring off the bench from Bobby, you got good rebounding from Pat Connaughton, a lot of smart, high IQ plays. Uh, I mean, look, for a team that turned the ball over 18 times, it was very impressive. What specifically did those two players bring in this series against the Suns that uplifted the Bucs to this championship? So I'll talk about uh, Pat Connaughton first. Uh, a lot of Bucks fans, myself included, were really um, critical of that uh, contract extension that John Horst offered him at the beginning of the season. We know that he has a great relationship with Giannis, so it you know, makes sense to bring him back. But wow, has he earned that contract plus some more um, with what he did throughout the postseason, really, with DiVincenzo out, the Bucks were down perimeter defender, one of the more elite younger guards who can defend multiple positions, hit the three ball um, at a solid rate. That's where Pat Connaughton really um, came came into his role. 
the Bucks had him in there when they went small, which is when they were at their best at points throughout this entire uh, postseason run. And Pat Connaughton's tenacity, like you mentioned on the offensive glass, really killed the Phoenix Suns. Phoenix really has no size outside of DeAndre Ayton. And I forgot where I saw the stat, but Milwaukee's offensive rebounding percentage when both Giannis and Connaughton on the floor was, it was like 30, it was almost 34%, which was huge. Very high. And there, there was a significant drop-off when Pat Connaughton was off the floor. So just his nose for the basketball on the, on both um, the defensive glass and the offensive glass, you know, it cannot go understated because you are securing a possession for your team and you're also creating another possession as well. He also had that huge offensive uh, rebound off that missed free throw in game five as well. You know, game five, he also hit, I think, four threes, had 14 points in that huge game where if the Bucks don't win that game five on the road, they probably don't win the series. So getting any contribution, offensive um, contribution from Pat Connaughton is just, a, you know, yeah, cherry on top because I thought he also played pretty solid defense when he was switched on to Devin Booker. And, you know, a lot of people on social media were roasting him like, oh, well, what do you think was going to happen when Pat Connaughton was switched on to Devin Booker? Well, you know, if Devin Booker is hitting shots over Pat Connaughton, I mean, you know, sometimes you just got to tip your hat, hat to the offense. Moving on to Bobby Portis, you know, really here what the Bucks have been missing the last two years was an enforcer like uh, P.J. Tucker, who I know we're going to talk about uh, later in the show. Um, but the Bucks, they didn't have that. They didn't really didn't have that alpha attitude. They, had, they didn't have that guy with that alpha attitude who, if you get pushed, they're going to push back. I think that's what um, kind of screwed the Bucks last two years was not having that attitude that when you're pushed, okay, you just fold. But bringing a guy like Bobby Portis into the mix, where you know you don't want to mess with Bobby Portis. I love how he he's an instigator. He he gets under opponent's skins. He's that guy that you love to have on your team, hate to play against. And what he added to this Bucks team offensively, I mean, I did not see this coming. Being one of the best three point shooters percentage wise in basketball was just was just huge, humongous for this Bucks team from the corner, from above the break. Bobby, it just seemed like whenever he was open for a shot for three, it was going in. He also has um, decent uh, post game as well. I like his uh, little floater too in the paint. But yeah, uh, Bobby Portis, without his contributions in game six, who knows what happens uh, when the Bucks were really in the mud in the first, well, not really the first quarter, but in the second quarter, Bobby Portis' contributions really helped him out. I believe he had double digit points at halftime, ended up, I think, with maybe 16 points. But having a guy like Bobby Portis who's going to fight for the ball, he, like Pat Connaughton, also has a great nose for the ball. You know, he's diving for loose balls. He had that um, one save in late in game five where he jumped like behind Chris Paul as the ball was going out of bounds on the baseline and reached his arm around and hit it off Chris Paul. You know, just having guys like that makes all the difference in the world. And this is what the Bucks had been missing the last few years, like I said. I agree with both of those points you made there. And the next topic, obviously, is P.J. Tucker. Um <laughs> I do want to get your favorite P.J. Tucker moment in these playoffs, and I, I just think my take on him first is outstanding defense, right, especially in the Brooklyn series. And, again, another guy who can rebound the basketball. I know he could potentially just be a rental for this Bucks team. I mean, he is a pending free agent, so we'll see what happens with him. But what was your favorite P.J. Tucker moment? Well, my favorite P.J. Tucker moment actually might have been from uh, the championship parade where he was just – plastered out of his mind off Shane and Rose. I don't know if you saw that, but my man, PJ Tucker, 
he was feeling good. If you go on Twitter and just look up PJ Tucker, like he was in a different stratosphere. But if we're talking <laughs> on the court production, you know, he's not a guy that's going to score you more than six points a night. Most of the time, he averaged a career low in minutes played and points per game granted. I believe he sat out the first few weeks of the season uh, in Houston, wanted to preserve his body because he knew he was going to get traded. Yeah, my favorite moment. It's hard to really pin a moment, but I think he was huge in games three, four, and five. Game five, he did battle with some foul trouble. A little over-aggressive at times with the hands, but it's okay. You know, I thought the officiating game five was was a little iffy on both sides at best, so he was probably called for some fouls that normally wouldn't be called. But, you know, with P.J. Tucker, it's hard to pinpoint uh, an exact favorite moment because with him, it just seems like he comes up with so many big defensive plays. I love we were just talking about it with Pat Connaughton and Bobby Portis crashing the boards on the offensive glass. P.J. Tucker, you know, even at his size, he's a strong man, and he was really giving the Suns a lot of problems on the offensive glass. There were times where the Bucks wouldn't send anyone except P.J. Tucker to the offensive glass, and the Suns would have three people ready to rebound, and P.J. Tucker still finds a way to get to the ball. So just really the tenacity he brought and the offensive rebounding, the defensiveness, but really what – might be his most um, impressive accolade is his locker room presence for this Bucks team and his attitude that he carried over when he was traded, you know, adopting the whole we dogs mentality. I think that yeah. was important for the Bucks, And I think that's someone that Giannis wanted to be under his wing, seeing that veteran leadership, something that the Bucks really haven't had before. Yeah. I mean, I think it's interesting. I mean, last year you really upgraded because we got Tucker and Portis, Last year, it was Ilya Sova and Robin Lopez, right? And Marvin Williams, you could throw in there as well. So th- those were old aging veterans. These guys are older as well, especially PJ. I know he's in his mid to later 30s now, but he still has game left in him. And he's not a very big guy. The fact that he just sticks his nose in there, he doesn't care if you're like five inches taller than him. He doesn't care. I mean, look, he, he guarded Kevin Durant in game seven of that series. It, that was insane what he was able to do. So, look, I, I'm happy he was on the Bucks, uh roster and not anybody else's roster. Uh, it's going to be interesting, uh, Andrew. The Bucks have some tough decisions coming up in free agency. Um, there are a lot of players who – have player options like Bryn Forbes and Bobby Porter specifically, and then our UFAs, Jeff Teague, P.J. Tucker, and Thanasis Antetokounmpo. So those five players are the five big names. Do any of these players remain with the team? Yeah. So my most interesting thing here is I think Bryn Forbes is probably the most likely to be gone out of um, the players you just mentioned. I think some team will probably pay him a little more than he should be getting. Granted, um, you know, he really disappeared after that Miami series, which I think is going to hurt his value a little bit. Um, I think the person who might get the most money if they opt out is Bobby Portis, who you really don't want to lose a guy like Bobby Portis. But at the same time, you know, with the Bucks winning this championship ring, you know, if he wants to go chase his paper, you know, go do it. You know, you have my blessing to do that. The contributions Bobby Portis brought to this team, you know, cannot be understated. So if he wanted to go just chase money, not even a ring. That's fine with me, but I also see a scenario where he ends up offering into his player option where he would be, you know, getting a lot more than uh, under his market or a lot less than his market value. And when it comes to Thanasis, 
you can bet that if Giannis, as long as Giannis is on the team, Thanasis is going to be there. And, you know, a lot of people like making jokes about Thanasis that, you know, he's the guy that gets an A in the group project, but doesn't do anything. But Thanasis, he really, if there's anyone that can get to Thanasis or to Giannis, it's Thanasis. They have um, some chats that we know that we see before the game. And if something, something is going wrong or, you know, he doesn't like how Giannis is playing, Thanasis will say something. And I think that's really important that, the Nasus holds Giannis accountable and will be there, you know, talking to him if something's going wrong. And, you know, when the Nasus does play, he's going to give you his um, per 36 fouls numbers must be insane. But, you know, the Nasus, he's a smart basketball player. He's smart, uh, fouls a lot, but when he's on the court, he's smart and he tries hard. I agree. I think he's the player most likely to return. I think he's very important for that bench and motivating Giannis and the rest of those guys. I think, Jeff Teague and Bryn Forbes are the two most likely players to depart. I don't think Teague will be back. I think they're preparing Sam Merrill to overtake the backup point guard position. And then Jordan Nuwara is probably going to fill in Bryn Forbes' minutes heading into next year. Because the Bucks do have a lot of youth towards that end of the bench that like, they didn't really use much in these playoffs. I know Budenholzer is not the biggest fan of playing rookies, and I, I understand why. It was a very similar situation with DiVincenzo a couple years ago. So I think you're going to see an uptick in minutes for those two next year. Bobby Portis is the big question mark. I think P.J. Tucker's gone. But, I mean, the two big names to keep, I'd be satisfied if they keep Bobby and Thanasis. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great point. And at this point, really, like, whatever happens, I'm okay with the Bucks won a title, and I just keep telling myself, hey, the Bucks could lose every game for the rest of my lifetime, and you know what? Like, I probably wouldn't care. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we'll definitely see what happens. I have two more questions for you, actually. So the NBA draft, July 29th. Mm -hmm. Any potential guys or areas of need you would like the Bucks to focus on? Well, uh, I'll tell you one thing. Brew Hoop did, definitely did not hire me to be a uh, Milwaukee Bucks draft uh, guru. But I will say <laughs> really anything that um, can help up maybe um, – a combo guard, another um, in between one and a two. If you're um, leaving behind, you know guys like um, Jeff Teague, and you know who knows what DiVincenzo will look like next year. If Sam Merrill, how he's going to play, you know, with the Bucks, I guarantee you what they're going to draft is they're probably going to draft a shooter. Uh, maybe who knows? Maybe maybe potentially a big man. Uh, Brooke Lopez, he's up there in age. Uh, pretty sure he's still got two years left on his deal after this this season. Yes. Maybe, yep. I th if I had to put money on it, I would bet maybe a shooting guard or a center. I think you have to replace Brooke Lopez in a year or two. Um, he he's aging. Look, he they're probably not going to bring him back once his contract is done. I think they'll honor the rest of his contract. I do think a shooter could be in the works as well, especially if we do lose Brent mm -hmm. Forbes. I mean, you still have Divincenzo, Connaughton, Holiday and Nawara as well, who was great for Louisville in his college days. But it'll be interesting to say, I think Luca Garza is a name that could, yep. we could look out for, the big man from Iowa. Mm -hmm. I think he's a potential player that could come in and back up Brooke Lopez um, just to give us some more depth. So that's kind of like where um, I'm thinking, yep. where are the Bucks? Because I know we don't have a first-round pick. So <laughs> That's fair. But, that's fair assumption. Yeah. To replace Brooke. Last question is there's been rumors. I know 
this segment's strictly on the Bucks, but Chris Paul mm-hmm. still does not have a ring. Um, as a Bucks fan, you know, in this series, I did feel bad for Phoenix because they're a very difficult team to right. root against, in my opinion. Um, me as a Notre Dame fan, I mean, I love Monty Williams. Um, he's, you know, he's an outstanding coach, um, former Notre Dame alum. And the way he came into the locker room after the series shows like real class. You know, right. I mean, you lose graciously, you know, and you win graciously as well. Right. Very humbling thing to do for Monty Williams. But um, he has a good young team on his back the problem is chris paul he's up there in age should he stay with the suns i think him staying is his most realistic shot to win a ring unless he like wants to take like the la route again yeah i think his most realistic shot would be um with the suns i don't know if the lakers could manage to do a cap wise um i think him remaining with the suns would be a great story Uh, chris paul is either loved or hate hated by a lot of people for good reasons but I still think he's a good guy to have mentor the guys like Cam Johnson, Devin Booker. Um, and we saw what really got having guys like Chris Paul can do for campaign, who is regarded as arguably like the worst player in basketball the last few years. But he goes to Phoenix, turns into a contributor. I think his best chance for a title would be with the Suns. Granted, you know, with Arizona sports, who knows? Arizona sports are known for the their unpredict- unpredictability. Uh yeah, I would love to see Chris Paul stay in a Phoenix Suns uniform. I just think it's, like you said, so hard to root against the Suns. It was just a great story for the league. Yeah, and end of the day, Torrey Craig still gets his championship ring. He's so. a real He's a real <laughs> Can't forget that. But, um, Andrew, anything else you wanted to add here before we wrap this up? You know, I think that's it. I really appreciate you having me on uh, to your podcast again. If uh, you guys want to follow me on Twitter, see my crappy tweets, you can follow me at Andrew, letter G underscore NBA. And, you know, I just want to thank you again, Tom, for having me on. Had a great time uh, talking Bucks here, and uh, hopefully we can do this again soon. Yeah, Andrew, just want to say appreciate your insight, you coming on today. Meant a lot, you know, talking to another Bucks fan, celebrating an NBA title. Definitely a lot of fun. Um, I'm glad you enjoyed game five and, you know, I'm glad we can head into this next year with um, clear eyes and we'll see what the off season holds for our Milwaukee Bucks. We'll have to wait and see, but I'm anxious, anxiously excited. I may add. Also make sure to go follow Andrew on his personal account, as he just mentioned and on the brew hoop at Twitter for um, his uncrappy tweets. I'll say <laughs> um, I've been following that. I think I followed that yesterday. So make sure to go check him out. Really do appreciate it. Make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel at Review and Preview Sports, where this episode will be up. Andrew will tag you in and we'll put all your social media links there. And once again, thank you so much. Thank you, Tom. I appreciate it. I hope you have a good weekend. You too.